Welcome to The Brew with Suzanne Morning. Hi, I'm Suzanne, an intuitive guide who channels healing energy. The end of each month, we'll be channeling guidance for a Q&A session, so email your questions to thebrewwithsuzannemorning at gmail.com. Visit our site, suzannemorning.com. The portal is opening. Welcome to The Brew with Suzanne Morning, Episode 6, The Dead Poets Society. Now, I love that movie. It's the name of the movie, starring Robin Williams. I love Robin Williams as an actor. He was passionate. He was different. A man ahead of a time with a, with a mission. With a mission to call people into their own personal freedom. Patch Adams, What Dreams May Come. That was another one, What Dreams May Come, theme of reincarnation in the Dead Poets Society. So he was a teacher. And he used poetry as a tool to help them reach and access their heart, their emotions, their true passions in a very stuffy boys' grammar school where life was rules and regulations, familial and parental societal expectations of what you must be and must not be. To such an extent, one of the boys felt he could not be and express who he really was as he came into revelation of who that was and hence took his life. If I cannot live my life, I will take it. And the boys, as Robin is fired from his job, the boys whose hearts he has won stand on their, their desktops and salute him with Captain My Captain. I think that's from a Walt Whitman, if I've got the name right, um, poem that he taught them. They saluted him. You are really our captain. You're the captain of our education because you took us into the recesses of our heart and found help us educate and find what we're really here to learn, which is a deep eternal journey into self that we make over many lives. Beautiful story, Carpe Diem, seize the day, seize the day, seize your heart, follow your path, though it may wander off and be a little bit thorny, it's yours, god damn it, it's yours, it's thorny, it's messy, it's strange, it's quirky, but it's goddamn yours. And that makes it sacred. And that makes it worthy. And who is anyone else to tell you that your path is not sacred and worthy? It's not their path. It's not their passion. But you're not here to live their heaven. You're here to live your heaven and bring your heaven to earth. You are God bringing heaven to earth. So create what is meaningful and passionate to you. Go out on a limb. Snap the branch. Fall off. You may free fall and fly. If you break a leg, never mind. Get back up, it'll heal. Get up that tree and get out on the limb. It is your goddamn sacred journey and your path and no one can tell you otherwise. And if they do, let them. They do not have to be the voice in your ear. The strongest voice in your ear is that one that comes from 10 inches below the air within your heart, that still little quiet voice that says, if only I want. The voice that speaks when no one else is looking or leaning into them like the social mafia saying, well, you should. Ra-dee-rah, blah-ba-dee-blah. I'm here to say you have a sacred path and it's your goddamn right to follow it. <laughs> 
Now, my friends, after that wee rant, let us now explore some poetry. This is a book I wrote. It is a cathartic expression of my own journey. I wrote it while traveling through probably 46 different countries, bouncing around between different cultural experiences. It was a bit of an external metaphor for the metaphor of my heart where I was bouncing and traversing and travailing, trespassing, creating my own culture within, my own country with its own flag, its own language. And what if nobody else gets it? The end of the day, it doesn't matter. We, we die alone. We're born alone. It is our life. We do have guides with us, by the way. It is our life to live as we see fit in the sacred lens of our own heart. So take the road less travel. Get on that limb. Climb that tree. Go out on a limb if it snaps. Never mind. Free fall. If you break a leg, it'll heal. Get back up and keep going because it'll be worth it in the end. It'll be worth it in the end. And so to all of those who have the Spirit of the Dead Poet Society, Come and join me now. Light a candle. Let us gather exclusively and secretly in this cave, this mysterious and private cave that is our own. Let us collaborate and share. Share these poems. Because within this cultural exploration, as I traveled and scrambled around through subways for hours and end in trains, I wrote many poems on scraps of serviettes that later became published books by independent presses. My small claim to fame, I did not make money, but there was a great wealth of my soul in producing this work, the creative manifestation of a cultural journey that may have traversed thousands of miles across the world, but really the most important and expensive and valuable trip I made was that within the map of my own heart. Finding my language, my name, my road, my culture, the culture of Suzanne Morning, fingerprinted, branded by me. My own distinguished iris that no one else will ever share or know. It is the culture of Suzanne Morning and I share it with you uh, as inspiration that you too may enter the intrepid depths of your own heart. Clear the cobwebs. Go down those creaky stairs into the attics and recesses of parts you may never have visited or, or have abandoned years ago. Allow them to speak and bubble to the surface in a poem. Because a poem is a visual liturgy. We don't directly say when we write poetry. We write in metaphors and similes, and metaphors are picture words. We tell a story with words. We use similes. It was like this. And in that way, we are not direct. So we trick ourselves into the subconscious where we can slip into the depths of our true being that lies beneath the surface of the ocean and dive deep, deep, deep into who we really are, what we want, what we think, what we feel. We dive into that and we express on the page. 
and we get to intercourse with ourself on a deep sensual level on the page of who and what we are. It's a bit like a dream, lucid dreaming when you write poetry. We're accessing our secret truths in the subconscious by indirectly writing through picture words. So take up your pen and play. Come along and play. Light your candle. Join this cave as we collaborate, share and disclose the mystic depths within each of us. And let me tell you, everyone has a dream. We all hold dreams. We've all come with missions and our own piece of heaven on earth that we have come to bring. We are God bringing heaven on earth. And we do that when we shift and move into our bliss. To do that, we have to give ourselves permission to go the road less traveled. To ignore the voices around us that says, who do you think you are? Well, who do you think you are? You are a child of God. Your purpose is to make manifest the beauty, presence and wonder of God that lies within each one of us. Who are you not to be bold, bright, beautiful and wonderful? Who are you not to be a shining meteorite streaking through the sky so that others may be uplifted? That you may light the way for them to follow? Who are you not to be all of this? It's your sacred journey, your birthright. You are a God. I am the God of Suzanne. I am bringing heaven to earth through my experience so that that radiates out and gives permission on a frequency level across the grid to those who see, feel and hear. And those who do not see, feel and hear will still experience it because it goes out. Bring your heaven to earth. Bring your heaven to earth. Bring it. Bring it. No one can bring your heaven but you. Your husband can't, your wife can't, your children can't, your job can't, your money can't, your beauty can't, your intelligence can't. But altogether a mixture of these things, mixed in the cauldron of the heart with motions and lotions and potions, will give forth a steamy concoction that will be yours and yours alone, a recipe that belongs to you that will waft into the atmosphere your truth, your poetry, your words, in your way. Dreams are real. They're within all of us. As a child, our family was quite poor. We couldn't afford to buy any books. I would watch as the book sales came round each class, each year. I would read through the pamphlets and yearn to be able to buy these delicious, wonderful books. So I started writing poetry instead when I was 10. Who ever thought that uneducated, poor girl, the quiet, shy, nervous one, would ever find her way through her lostness to the words that lay deep in her gut. Travelling through the world, subways and serviettes, to express them in published form. <clears throat> Your dream is waiting for you. It is you. You is waiting for you in the wings.
here's your cue. I'm going to share, and as I do, be inspired and know that you have been called to your stage, to your goddamn sacred path that only you can do. And it may not be easy. <clears throat> Maybe a journey. Let me read you this one I wrote when I was in Asia. I'd often frequent Buddhist temples, talk to a monk, and they would often have lotus flowers growing in pots. And it was quite a predominant symbol in the Buddhist temples where they would often be painted on the wooden logs. And I wondered about this and asked, and the monk explained, well, actually, a, a lotus flower is buried deep in the mud, and it has to push up through the mud and the water to reach the top. And therein lay a beautiful analogy about life. There are no shadows without sun, the monk said. The woman mops her brow with a tissue. His linen toga keeps him cool. He points to the water lilies quilting the pond. The lotus flower grew under mud, breathed through that mud, reached through the water to get to the top. I'll never forget <coughs> excuse me, that conversation with that monk. It was powerful. Right, now I'm just flipping through my book. It's a bit late at night. That was my alarm going off, if you heard it. Let me read you one called the 23rd Psalm. Most people, churchy or not, may know this. As I travelled through Europe, I was really out of my culture. Suddenly there was no one around me saying, you should be this or that. I was able to invent myself into anything and anyone I wanted to be. And I did at times. I called myself a different name. And I became a different person. What's it like to be like that, to be like this? And in some ways it was necessary for me to leave my culture so I could fully... It's like turning myself inside out like a jumper and you get to see the label. Oh, that's the fibre content. Uh-huh. That's how you take care of this garment. You wash it. You don't dry clean. You do this. You do that. It's 20% nylon. Oh, that's quite tough. Oh, but 60% wool. That's quite malleable. 10% merino, soft and warm. 10% elastic. Okay, she'll bounce back. It's like turning myself inside out. I had to leave my culture to find my internal culture. And I wrote the 23rd Psalm. Self-help books are her shepherd. She shall always want. They make her lie down in parched pastures through the valley of death, the birth of still waters. She's learned to embrace a sunset without a sunrise. Harvest grapes without drinking the wine. Banquet in the presence of her enemies. At the counselling clinic, Rod and his staff, well, they comfort her. Money's her new homesake. Her new namesake, and she dwells in the house of her work forever, waiting for it to restore her soul. So what had once been my boundaries in life, my cultural boundaries, my religious boundaries, they were all beginning to dissolve. 
and it was a disorientating process because before we reorientate into our new direction, it's like the compass is spinning all over the place. Can't get magnetic north. And that's a normal part of finding our sacred path. That's a normal part. Here's one called Tennis Anyone. I begin to explore God in a much wider theme. A much wider theme. The Bible is no longer the be-all, end-all, dictated word of the divine. Just as my books are not the be-all, end-all of me. They were just an expression of something I went through at the time. God works all things together for good. Mm. Bible by the empty double bed. Life and truths. Death and divorce. But hey, she's learned to hit back in the courtroom. Survived serves from out of the blue. I'm sorry, a pregnancy will be impossible. Um, mastered backhanders. He was only 18 years old and he died on the soccer field. God. Sure, she's dropped the ball a few times, but she's always kept playing. And then she heard Buddha, or, or, or was it Jesus, call from the sidelines, love all, and the game was over. And that one's called Tennis Anyone. Tennis Anyone. All right, the next one I want to read you was... It's a story about the certainty um, of religion. And when we leave, anything that's given us certainty, it might be a religion, it might be a relationship, it might be work, something that's been solid, defined, boundaried. And now we have this open road before us. And part of us wants to run back. Go, oh, give it back to me. I know it's not quite what I want, but uh, at least it's the devil I know. Three years of trying, flushed out in a cold. Vitamin C won't mend indecision. It was easier when Jesus told her what to do. The present is a present, her swinger friend had told her. Blurred future yawns, eyes ajar, rain comes down. She licks the sky back. That's a poem, a little bit about coming out from the rule book. It's like losing the rule book, journeying into the heart and going, well, what feels right for me? And what if I do this? And what happens if? And who said? And with that is a lot of uncertainty. And let me say, it takes a lot of courage to leave anything that has been your security and shift into the unknown and explore and experiment. It takes a lot of courage, a lot of courage. And one day I might share a little story about that with you. This is a story about two sisters I know. One of them believes deeply in reincarnation and the other doesn't. It's called siblings. They're looking at a photo. 
an older child kissing or, or is it biting the nose of a blonde baby? The baby has a birthmark, strawberry shaped on her nose. The older child, the same on her thigh. It's a sign we're soulmates, the older sister explains. She points to the birthmark on her leg. Often incarnations bear a symbol in the body. It's a clue in life's forgetting. Hmm. I know we're close, the sister replies, but symbols, past lives, I've never believed that stuff. I know, the older one replies. That's why yours has faded. A little bit of humour in that. Sometimes when we shift and change our beliefs, it changes the dynamics around us. And sometimes that's not a problem, but sometimes it can become an issue if it's a life mate. And they either shift or move with us, or we have to review how we're going to manage that big change, especially if it's a big change. Some people who've come back from near-death experiences completely change. They change their entire value system. Just turning the pages here as we talk. They change their entire value systems and their current relationships are no longer compatible because they're not driven by money or prestige or what they were driven by before. Suddenly, life takes on a spiritual value and they want to make a difference in the world. And their values are thrown into a totally different priority and that changes the dynamics of the relationship. Here's a little poem. It's called May West Summer. Because as we begin to unwrap ourselves and give ourselves permission to unwrap ourselves, new parts of us emerge. Beautiful parts of us emerge. Freeing parts. She lies on the lawn. The sun disrobes her. The grass ripples its approval. Man watching orders two stiff drinks and applies a deodorant. He wipes his face with a book. She lowers her glasses. Eyes soaked in blue sky that call men to fly south from their winter. She looks up, extended neck, a slide in a fun park and winks. Moustache curls up. Pages fan themselves. Washing on the clothesline throws out its arms. Satin slacks cross and uncross their legs and draw. Why don't you come up and see me sometime? A little bit of a saucy, sensual bit of May West coming through there. When we go deep and we allow... We allow segments within us to expand. We get to experience love in a whole new way. And sometimes relationships we've had, they're just not on the same frequency anymore because we've shifted. They're on a three and we've moved to an eight. Listen to this one. It's called Unequal Measures. Nighttime falls through his face. Tomorrow, tomorrow, I'll love you tomorrow. 
but there's no rising sun in the breakfast cereal. Mm, she pats the photo she'll give him. Elbows on the sill, she watches the rain. A balanced needlework on the pavement. Love is yet to get wet. Have some of us really known that deep love and connection? Because we can only love others to the extent that we love ourselves. When we go through a huge healing, we change. We give more. Our level deepens. Story about a breakup. Some of you will relate to this. The darkness, the shift in a relationship when you make a shift. And we make shifts over the decades. And maybe, maybe, my friends, the success of a relationship is not in the longevity of it. Maybe longevity should not be the yardstick by which we measure what a successful relationship is. If we can sustain love, negotiate and grow together, that's a glorious and wonderful thing to have. And that's something my parents have, 60 plus years of marriage. Uh, in their late 80s, they still love each other, they still hold hands. My mother always reaches for my father's shaky hand and places her shaky Parkinson's hand in his. Says he makes me feel secure. And he still thinks she's beautiful. Because when he looks at her, he doesn't see the 87-year-old who's thin, lost weight, stooped and shuffling with Parkinson's. He still sees his carnival queen. Because in Wales, in her hometown, she was voted the carnival queen, the prettiest girl in her town. And so we call her the carnival queen. And he still sees that. Because that's the beauty of love. And when you age together, you still see them as you saw them. There's something very gentle about the progression of time that wrinkles and aging sets in so slowly that we're still holding them at that place. And she still feels the warmth and security when he hugs her and holds her hand. And he still looks at her and thinks she's gorgeous. Now I think that's beautiful if you can have that. And not all of us have that and not all of us are meant to have that. Some of us bounce around through different relationships, you know, as long as we're still learning and expanding our souls, treating others with respect and love. I think this is really the highest, the highest journey of the soul. Maybe happily ever after is with a succession of people. And it's not so much staring into their eyes and I found him or her it's the reflection we see staring back from their eyes. The depth that resides within us is our happily ever after. And when we come into our own fullness and our own journey through our own poetic meanderings, we get to share that with someone else. They share their poems with us. 
They go, uh-huh, yeah, I get that, I get that. And we share our poems with them. And that is the collective, the Dead Poets Society. The Dead Poets Society, the Live Poets Society, gathering in our caves together with our loved ones, sharing the words of our heart. This is my journey. How about yours? And maybe we journey through those caves carrying candles for each other for years. Or maybe it's not for years. And we change candles. And we change collaborators. And it's all okay. Happily Ever After is in the words of our poetry that reflect back from that dreamy gaze into our own reflection. The next one I want to read you I've called it the silence of God because after I left my fundamentalist faith I felt I had to go atheist for a while and just clear everything out of the head almost like a deprogramming cycle which is quite difficult to do because I've had so many mystical experiences because the divine meets us wherever we are but I had to go through like a super wash cycle and just get some of those heavy stains out of the garments so I tried to be an atheist for a while, but I wasn't very successful, so I called myself an agnostic. But for a long time, I felt the silence of God because I didn't know who I was dealing with and I didn't want to deal with what I had dealt with before because I found that overbearing, repressive. There were so many rules and I felt small and apologetic and I wanted to be loud, noisy, wild and free. And somewhere along the way, as I traveled through these caves, visiting cultures and countries, I met parts of myself and they emerged and they were colorful, loud, freaky and wild. And there were other parts that were quiet and reflective. And they came together in a big colorful kaleidoscope, a potpourri. And I found myself giving myself permission. And it's an ongoing journey. It's an ongoing journey, friends, to invent, discover. We're not really inventing. We're just finding lost parts. Putting them back together. A colourful stained glass. Today I'm looking through green. Tomorrow will be blue, maybe pink. And I'm going to rearrange that part over there because I don't like it anymore. I'm hanging it upside down for a while. We get to play and create because we are eternal beings. We're part of the Godhead and we go on forever. There's a lot to discover within ourselves. But if you find yourself in a place where things are silent, wait, but wait, there's more. It does come, it does come. Sometimes we need to go through the dark night of the soul and let things clear and then we can hear. The silence of God. Forgive me, chocolate fish father. It has been seven years since my last confession and more for conversation. Please melt on me. Sweet answers on a dairy-addicted soul. I don't do Chinese whispers. Give me a billboard, a song, a book. Look, my fists are filled round gritty pearls. I bang the walls and people waiting 
I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And the word became, but I couldn't. So I rode black horses at night, a hunter of revelations, kissed Buddha's belly. I praised the dead and I gave up on a baby. At 20, pink faux fur, I sat in a smiling pew and Mother Mary came to me. 20 years later, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, they're the only ones who come. I pilgrim back to Bethlehem, pregnant with air. I float in a concrete sky. The silence of jets who've broken the sound barrier. So a little bit of cynicism, sadness, despair, longing, yearning. And that's the journey, friends. And that's the... It's the healing warmth of a metaphor. Healing warmth of a metaphor. Now, I'm going to finish with a little story. So if you like stories, I hope you got a cup of tea. This is called Woman of God. But it could be for anyone who's, who's felt expectations, felt they should be something. A lot of these may be external expectations from around us, society, how we should look, feel, behave, what we should achieve. But a lot of them are also messages we've internalized and we're telling ourselves. And life brings us experiences and challenges. Their blessings really disguised it as pain. They come to unravel some of these beliefs. Like, did you really think you needed that man? Did you really think you needed all that money? See, you are happy. You didn't need him. You didn't need that fancy rich house. You didn't need that job. You didn't need him. You tried. You worked so hard for all of it. But now that you don't have it, you're living single in this kind of rough house but you're doing what you'll love doing I've never seen you so happy I've never seen you so happy and fulfilled yeah and now oh these things are coming around you these men are attracting to you these job offers are coming in because no I no longer I no longer fear that I need them because I know I don't. So they're free to come and they're free to go and they have no hold over me. And what we fear, we hang on to, we cling to. Comes our master, drains us. It makes us anxious and fearful. But when we know we don't need it anymore, we're free to master it and to choose to select our highest good. So let some of those experiences unravel you. What you've been holding on to, what we've been holding on to so tightly. It's like rope burn. It's burnt our fingers. It's become so ingrained. Let them go. Let them go. Find what makes you happy. And when they come around the next time, you go, oh, you again. Yeah, okay, I'll take you back on these terms. And that's a good feeling because it's love-based and not fear. 
So I'm going to read you the story of Woman of God, which is really the story of expectations and letting go, coming into who we are. And that is a journey. It can be a whole life process. It can be several lives. So enjoy the story. Woman of God, Pam, the eldest of three sisters, is a psychotherapist and type A personality. Since embracing Buddhism, she has finally resolved her erroneous childhood belief that she was an adopted and not biological member of the family. After studying the Myers-Briggs personality types, she now understands why, as an ENFP personality type, she had so much trouble relating to her sister Sarah, an ISTJ. Hmm. Sarah was a virgin when she married at 19. A special honeymoon outfit made by the talented Rhonda, who led the church worship. Sarah worked overseas, a struggling journalist determined to join the ranks of CNN. She was missed back home by her youngest sister, Jan, who fought off an eating disorder whilst trying to find meaning in her work at the bank. Sarah, rational and even, was everything Jan aspired to be. Years later, Sarah returned home, glowing in the early stages of pregnancy. She embarked on motherhood with poise. Meteorites found off course, were caught in the palm of her hand and redirected with precision. Shooting stars gravitated to her galaxy. Jan, on the other hand, is big hips, B-cup breasts from feeding two kids, premature grey hair and plenty of laugh lines. Nobody she reminds herself laughs that much. Her caesarean scar and unwaxed bush, peripheral decorations that border her saggy panties are a constant reminder of her need for proactive maintenance. Recently, she's been doing her cellulite program in the shower, scrubbing her thighs till they hurt. It's an offensive attack launched at the fat gloops spinning through her inner space. Every six weeks, there's the laser treatment. Every Star Wars trick zap, killing some kind of Klingon hair that's taking over. Gosh, she wonders how Sarah stays so slim. Hmm, tomorrow she must start the diet pills and increase her exercise. God, will her life ever come into orbit? Sarah felt drained. 20 years together, her... Once handsome, his once handsome arrogance, now a turn-off. His hot air destroying the family ozone. You know, she's tired of taking out the rubbish. Tummy tamers quickies and a thin smile, but she must go on for the kids. They become her son. And she threw herself into a spinning trajectory around them. Forget about dresses and makeup. Three-quarter pants and tees will do from now on. Nod and smile another day over. She reaches for her sleeping pills. Gravity pulls you down, you know. So much so that one equinox, a man fell out of the moon, landed in her lap, brought her back to earth, grinning. She began writing again. Pam, 
the older sister, understands a path that suddenly takes a sharp turn down a rocky gully. Her hormones swam upstream, found her fishing daily through tears for a bite of sanity. No children spawned. She counted early menopause with ambition, KY jelly, and a younger man. She rings her mum, Lisa, weekly, Alzheimer's. Her mum forgets she's the genesis of the solar system. She shuns assistance. Pam tells her mum it's okay to let go of that tough Irish upbringing. And then they cry together. Pam remembers being medicated with Valium, a 13-year-old insomniac with prepubescent depression. They were never this close growing up. And here they are now, breakdown and breakthrough, sipping tea together, nibbling Christmas cake on the deck in the fading winter sun. Lisa has drooping breasts. She can't see the cellulite anymore for the wrinkles. She smiles through hollowed cheeks, wheezes out greetings to the ten grandchildren. They know she's got the big picture framed in that sepia face. Alone, Lisa remembers her taunt younger body, the book she wished she'd written, and the man she should have married. She'd been good, hadn't she? She'd tithed to the church, she'd made do with hand-me-downs. She turns up the TV louder. Raised on pull yourself together. It has taken her till her 70s to allow herself the luxury of a hanky for a sad movie. Don't be bringing trouble home, Lisa, my girl. Her mother, married at 17 and pregnant, had warned her. So she didn't. She went overseas instead, gave birth to three problems of her own. Three adorable problems. Her kindling eyes ignite to fire. She'd die for them, and at times, she quietly has. On Sunday, these women file into church, tidy purses in hand, car keys in the left pocket next to the affair, infertility on the right pocket, lipstick on top of the miscarriage, and... Under the divorce, faltering faith, fallen through a frayed corner in a rip-off Gucci bag that covers the financial strain. Like mother, like daughter, holds some truth. Like mother, like falling stars, holds more. Light and love, my beloved sisters. Write your story. Light and love. Don't capitulate, hesitate, orchestrate, titillate, facilitate, manipulate. Gentle flow, let it go, don't say no, slowly so, swing it low, by and by flying high, que sera sera, 
whatever will be, will be. The future is ours to see. Que sera, sera. The Brew with Suzanne Morning at gmail.com. Look forward to your comments, feedbacks, and questions. Love and light, my poetic bugaloos. Love and light.